Hey, Rico? Yo, what's up? Uh, I just woke up and my feet are wet. What happened? Uh, you know what? Don't worry about it, man. We were driving all night. I think I took a wrong turn. I don't know exactly what happened, but I did see a sign and it said Cabo Rojo. Cabo Rojo? Uh, that's in Puerto Rico. How did we... Dude, we're on an island. How did... Oh my god. Dude, a wrong turn's a wrong turn. I don't know what to tell you. You know what? We're here now. Let's just figure out what we're going to do next. Well, okay. I'm still trying not to wrap my head around how we got here. But... Probably best you don't. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Aren't you wearing a Puerto Rico t-shirt? What is that? Oh, you know what? Funny story about that. Hold on. We'll get into it. Welcome to I Thought the Lore, the podcast where we examine a paranormal tale and try to figure out why people still talk about it today. Where we don't care about true or false. We're only interested in how or why some stories linger in the backs of our minds while others disappear completely. In the end, we'll try to figure out if the lore won or if the lore lost. We're your hosts, Ben McDewey and Rico Sweets from the Mean Streets. We're here to bring that magical tale to your teeny tiny tingly ears. Let me pull over to the side of the road here. You know what? I, I, I've been driving all night. I need to relax. You want to take over? Take over. We can just sit here. Either way, I need to, uh, I need to stretch. And I gotta, I gotta dry out my socks. Yeah, I don't know how those got so wet. Mine are fine. They smell like salt water. Okay, so I have a little story here. And it starts in 1975 in where we happen to be, the island nation of Puerto Rico. Did you say 1975? I did. People of a particularly fine vintage are known to come from 1975. And people from that vintage would probably be aware that in that year there was a whole bunch of livestock that got killed in this little town called, I think something like Mocha, or maybe I'm just hungry. But anyway, you have a little town called Mocha on the island of Puerto Rico. And although reports of vampire-like attacks on farm animals were known as early as the 1930s, it wasn't until February 1975 when Newspapers reported that 15 cows, three goats, two geese, and a pig, possibly a partridge in a pear tree, were found with puncture marks on their blood-drained bodies, and thus began the legend of El Vampiro de Mocha. That's a lot of dead animals. Was this, like, all at the same time? Did this happen, like, overnight or was that something that over a course of a couple weeks or something there was like a dead cow here or i mean 15 cows a couple goats you know another day two geese and they were all drained of blood yeah so my understanding is that initially uh it was suspected that the killings were being committed by a satanic cult makes uh, sense at least that's what some people thought and a lot of people attributed it to the vampire. And then just to round things out nicely, you had another group still that connected them to a rash of UFO sightings uh, in the area at the time. Vampires, UFOs, and satanic cults. I mean, that just sounds like a party. It's a 
That's a trifecta, baby. I don't know how we ended up in Puerto Rico, but hey, you know what? It sounds like we got some stuff going on here. Absolutely. Now, you had more killings being reported around the island, and you had all these farms reporting a loss of animal life. And the one thing that tied all these cases together is that each of the animals was reported to have had its body bled completely dry through a series of small, circular incisions. So no blood drained completely of blood. And from what I know of exsanguinated bodies... Exsanguinated. That's a $5 word right there, buddy. I like to bust those out once in a while. Each of the animals was reported to have had its body bled dry through a series of small circular incisions. Now, what I know of blood being drained through small circular incisions is that they're usually in pairs from something with fangs. I don't know what it means when they say a series of small circular incisions, indicating that perhaps there was more than two, or maybe they weren't in pairs. I'm not really sure. It's an interesting way to phrase it as opposed to saying they were bite marks. So that's, pardon me, that's kind of weird. Circular incisions and the blood seems to have been drained through there. Usually something that has fangs and is going to bite you and leave incisions means it's injecting something like a poisonous snake has hollow fangs, but it's spraying out. It's not drinking anything in. Mm. And fangs on another animal that's going to attack something, it's going to use those to grab hold and then probably tear. Mm -hmm. But these were small circular incisions seem to be the only injury to their body. Dude, that's weird. And what's strange is, again, maybe it's just, maybe it's just the way that I remember it being phrased, but incisions sounds medical. Sounds small. precise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So, going by an article uh, that was written by the National Geographic of all people, turns out that vampiric creatures and ghouls have haunted the island of Puerto Rico long before it became the center stage for an international cryptid hunt. At the time of European contact in the late 15th century, there was an indigenous population known as the Taino. I apologize if I'm butchering this. Sorry, uh, Tainos. I'm going to say Taino. Uh, the Taino were the principal inhabitants of most of what is now considered to be Cuba, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Haiti, Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, and the northern Lesser Antilles. Hold on. i got to check something on a map here. Okay. Where is Puerto Rico? That is a very good question. I mean, you were driving. Okay. That's way further away than I thought it was. There's Florida, and then the, to the south, and then moving to the east, there's Cuba, and then Puerto Rico is past that. Okay, yeah, I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> As it turns out, it was a branch of this very people, the Taino, that were first encountered by Christopher Columbus in the Bahama Archipelago on October 12, 1492. And the atrocities that happened there aside, Columbus is not a hero. No. They believed in something called the Hupia. And again, I apologize if I'm massacring these names, but the Hupia were spirits of the dead. And they were thought to be shapeshifters that could take the form of owls, bats, and humans Hello. that would emerge at night and occasionally would have sinister motivations. Now, 
want you to uh, pay close attention to that description of owls, bats, and humans. One of these things is not like the other. No, that's true. Uh, one of them does not have wings. That's right. And uh, is also taller than bats and owls. Michael Crichton used the concept of the hoopia in his 1990 novel, Jurassic Park, and took the alleged snarling vampire beast and kidnapper of small children after sunset and used it to explain the attack on an 18-year-old boy working on the construction of the fictional dinosaur park on Isla Nublar. Of course, in the book, the culprit is later described as a velociraptor, and while Hoopia are also accused of a rash of attacks on infants and other people in rural Costa Rica, uh, these faceless night ghosts, as they were, were later deemed to be something called a Procampsognathus, which, uh, again, were a type of dinosaur that had escaped from the uh, the park on the fictional island. So it was kind of neat that you have a very real urban legend that was co-opted into a work of fiction and used as a plot device, basically, in a story that takes place in the same location that the urban legend was known to be popular anyway. Okay. So it adds a nice little layer of science in the science fiction. I also want to say the description of faceless night ghosts mm -hmm. conjures up night gaunts. Yes. Um, very Lovecraftian. And the name of that dinosaur mm -hmm. made me think you were going to say something that, I mean, that sounded very Lovecraftian. Oh, the... The, the name of that thing sounded very... Procompsognathus. Yes. Yeah, the... Uh, it, sounds, it sounds like something Lovecraft or one of his contemporaries who was in his circle would come up with. Especially that, yeah, the, the Sognath part, of, especially. Yeah. The idea of these evil shape-shifting spirits spread by an indigenous people is something that a lot of people nowadays are very familiar with. Yeah. And will probably touch on those a little later yeah yeah even if people only know them by name and really don't know anything else about the history there's definitely something that most people are familiar with especially Absolutely. if they like to read or talk about or listen to podcasts about the supernatural and the weird absolutely so we have a bit of backstory here we go from the 15th century to 1975 to 1990 in a fictional book. Now we fast forward a little farther to the year of 1995. Now this is where things get a little uh, crazy, so uh, let's buckle up. In 1995, and about 150 kilometers away from the small village of Mocha, there is a town called Cano Vanis. Again, I apologize for butchering these names. And the town of Cano Vanis, I find they have a very similar problem to what people of Mocha were experiencing 20 years ago. What was that? Your story's making me nervous. I thought I heard some stuff. Okay, so at this point, we've got some good backstory. We've gone from the 1500s up to 1975, up to 1990. Our next stop now is 1995. And, you know, being an island, not that far away from Mocha, 
is a town called Canovanius. And these people suddenly find that they have a very similar problem to what was happening about 20 years prior. So in March of 1995, we had eight sheep on a farm, all found dead. Each of them had not one, not two, not four, but three puncture wounds in the chest area and were reportedly completely drained of blood. Three fangs. Yes. In the chest. Yes. Three puncture wounds. Now, I don't know if these are three in a row or in a triangular pattern. I'm not sure how the three puncture wounds were arranged, but if we are talking about a bite, it's very difficult to picture an animal that would have three fangs. Is that like two on the top and one on the bottom? Or is that just three fangs across the top? I don't know from a evolutionary standpoint what advantage having that extra fang would provide, but the calling card of this particular assailant was three puncture wounds. I cannot think of a single animal that has three fangs. I can think of a lot that have four. Maybe if it was missing a fang. Possibly. But three fangs, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Nope. So that's March of 95. A couple months later, in August of that same year, we come across an eyewitness named Madeline Tolentino. And I want you to remember that name because our friend Madeline, she plays a pretty big role in all this. Now, Madeline reports seeing the culprit. So eyewitness. She is an eyewitness. Okay. Claims to be an eyewitness. And at the time that Madeline comes on the scene, we're up to a count of about 150 animals and pets that have reportedly been killed. I'm still thinking about the three puncture wounds. And in the chest, I mean, even an animal that would have three fangs, a chest of an animal is a pretty wide space. Mm -hmm. How far open is this thing's head and jaw going away from each other in order to clamp on that yeah. way? Am I just not thinking about this correctly? But, you know, three fangs in the chest. That's bizarre. And you would think that if an animal is biting down with enough force for these fangs to puncture the skin of its prey, there should be some remnant of the teeth on the lower jaw that the animal is using to apply the force. Yeah. I mean, again, when I brought up snakes earlier that have fangs, mm -hmm. they're hollow. They're meant to go into the flesh and inject. Three fang marks of an animal that's biting something in the chest mm -hmm. is going to have to go through bone and cartilage, probably. Mm -hmm. So those are probably going to have to be solid teeth. They aren't going to be hollow. So where's the blood going? Is I don't sucking it up like straws through these teeth. Would they be strong enough to be able to even bite into that area? That's my yeah. That's my assumption. Because if yeah, like you say, if they're biting into the chest specifically, there's ribs there. There's all sorts of stuff that you would think would make it a much less practical target than say the side of the neck. Yep, and. Again, you know, I've only ever heard these referred to as puncture wounds. It's a little less specific than incisions, but still not the same as a bite. With everything, or with as little as we know about these puncture wounds, the details get far sketchier from here. 
So Madeline's account of what she saw reached both local and national papers. And as her story is spreading, more and more reports of injured and dead animals across the island are coming in. There was mass hysteria at this point. People were terrified. They had armed guards positioned to protect whatever animals the farms had left. Children were being escorted to school. Some families even just packed up left their homes entirely. We're just not having it. And again, this is all for something that so far only one person has actually laid their eyes on. They're taking this really seriously, man. So by this point, I'm sure what a lot of people are wondering is what exactly, what exactly is what people are claiming to have been responsible for all this. And physical descriptions of this particular cryptid are like most, they vary quite a bit. But in general, what we have is a creature that's anywhere from three to five feet tall. This thing is like dummy thick, and I'm talking like three C's. We're talking Pixar mom territory. <laughs> and is very, some would say reptilian or alien-like in appearance with leathery or scaly greenish gray skin. So roughly the size of a small bear and has bat-like wings and what are described as a row of spines reaching from the neck down its hunched back to the base of a long tail. There are apparently fangs. The eyes can be black or red, but they're always very large. And the body is covered with either scales or quills. Other reports kind of mixed in there have included the fact that it has tiny little t-rex arms uh, some have reported it having an ability to jump great distances and having a very long tongue so right off the bat i'm thinking i'm thinking long tongue lots of leathery skin big eyes dude it's gene simmons and <laughs> he can be confirmed as spring jack you know, put that one to bed. We we found him, folks. Where where was Gene Simmons during 1995? Where, where was Gene Does Simmons? In, know? Where was Gene Simmons in Victorian England? I mean, he's not a young man. Um, so so this description, yes, of this is this what Madeline saw? Well, yes and no. The description we have so far is an amalgamation of what several witnesses have seen. All of the attacks, I'm assuming, were at night. There was a great deal of darkness, a great deal of panic, so the details can get a little fuzzy or scaly, whatever. <laughs> I tried looking into any documented ways of protecting yourself against this demonic cryptid and really didn't find anything beyond just don't be a goat. <laughs> I've got that covered. Yeah, I think we're pretty <laughs> safe there. For those of you that are listening at home, yes, both of you, I am sure you are no doubt completely over this whole dragging out the big reveal. And you must be yelling at your phones right now, pleading for old B-Mac daddy to blow his load already. Yes, it is likely mentioned in the title of this episode. Uh, nothing gets past you, does it? But you know what? I'm not going to do that quite yet. So at this point, we bring in local comedian Silverio Perez. Now, Silverio, he was DJing at the time for a radio station in San Juan. 
And he's actually the one credited with coining the term goat sucker, or more famously known, El, El, what was it? El Chopper Cupper? El uh, Chupper Gaber? Uh, oh, El Chupacabras. It should also be pointed out that by this time, other animal deaths were now being reported as far away as Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Honduras, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Peru, and America. America. Because they couldn't stay away. If everybody else gets to have something, they get to have it too. Yep. Now, at this point, I got to circle back on our girl Madeline. And Madeline, of course, is our our eyes on the ground when it comes to what the chupacabra looks like and who sort of helped bring the image of the chupacabra into the public consciousness. We have, in 2011, an investigator named Benjamin Radford. And uh, Benny Rad, he wrote a book called Tracking the Chupacabra that revealed Madeline's description given in her original eyewitness account was actually based on the creature Sill from science fiction horror film Species that also happened to be released that same year, 1995. Now, it turns out our friend Sill in the movie uh, was pretty much identical to Tolentino's Chupacabra eyewitness account. And she even added that she had seen the movie before her report, even referring to it as, quote, a creature that looked like the chupacabra with spines on its back and all. The resemblance to the chupacabra was really impressive. Now, Radsford report also included that Tolentino, quote, believed that the creatures and events she saw in species were happening in reality in Puerto Rico at the time, unquote. What? Yeah. Uh, you would think that this would have been enough to completely discredit her and any and all other accounts at the time, and that the story would just die there. But it was already too late. You see, old D.B. Chuper had graduated from local legend to political tool and was now too big to be refuted. Okay. So, 1995, this woman claims to see the Chupacabra. Mm -hmm. She gives a description of it. Yes. Describes it exactly like the creature Sill from Species. Well, what I find interesting is, based on what it appears to have been in Rad Benny's book, Madeline was describing the creature from Species and commenting on how closely it resembled the Chupacabra. So oh. it was almost like a case of reverse reference. Okay. Now, I would like to interject here for a moment. Mm -hmm. Now, on one hand, you have dead animals all over Latin American countries, missing all of their blood, mm -hmm. which, unless TV and movies have lied to me, is reported to be fatal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you also have a description of the perp as matching the thing Sill from Species. Now, on the other hand, Sill in Species was played by model, actress, and all-around beautiful lady Natasha Hensridge. And now I'm thinking maybe this uh, Chipper Cooper might not be so bad. Uh, are, you, are you crushing on the Chupacabra? Well, okay. I would like to point out a couple things that you have said. Bring them full circle here, or maybe half circle. I don't know. 
the lovely Miss, Ms. or Mrs. Henstrich was born in 74. 1975 is when the vampire stories start. Mm-hmm. Okay, right? So that kind of coincides, but not really, but I'm going to go with it. And by 1995, uh, Natasha Henstridge was already a world-famous model traveling all over the world. The original attacks coincide with her birthday, more or less. The other ones, when she was a world traveler. I mentioned Gene Simmons and nobody knowing his whereabouts. I'm wondering if anybody knows the whereabouts of Miss Natasha Hendrich during these attacks in 1995. She was out and about. Too so, many coincidences, man. I'm just saying, lining up the coincidences, quote-unquote coincidences, and maybe there's a little truth in there. I mean, where there's smoke, right? Where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, you She's s- pretty hot. Well, you've certainly given me something to think about. Um, oh, I'll be thinking I'm, about this. I'm Now I'm trying not to. So at this point, as I was saying, Madeline's story comes out is completely bat <laughs> bat wing crazy uh, that's right all right and you would think that as soon as the connection to a major hollywood movie was made that the chupacabra story would be dead in the water but this is where we have his mayorship jose ramon soto later nicknamed chemo for reasons i do not know <laughs> But this guy, he was he was the mayor in Canovanis, and he was up for re-election in 1996. Now, our buddy here, his mayorship, was a big believer in the Chupacabras and used the Chupacabras as an enemy that he could rally his voters around to play hero and demonstrate to everyone the limits he was willing to go protect his people and their precious livestock. He decided to hold chupacabra safari i believe he actually held four in total the first one being in october of 1995 so mayor soto organizes 200 people what 200 people including armed cops uh who clearly had nothing else going on uh and they decide that they're going to set out and they are going to catch this monster that's been terrorizing the people of (laughs) cannabis the mayor he he led this this trigger happy mob. He gets into the bed of a pickup truck. He is given a large crucifix. Wow. And <clears throat> behind the truck is being towed a trailer in which a caged goat is provided as bait. <laughs> okay. Hold on. My God. Now, 200 people, mm-hmm. armed cops, and this dude is... In a truck mm-hmm. with a large cross. Now, I'm assuming that the cross is just to cover all of his bases. You've got 200 yahoos tramping through town and the outskirts or the outskirts, wherever they're going. That's going to keep anything away from being attracted to this goat. But they've got guns. Mm-hmm. And did he bring a cross just in case it's demonic? I have a feeling that, yes, he covered all his bases in the sense that Whatever bullets won't kill, God will. Also reported as scaly. Maybe it's just a vampire with bad eczema. (laughs) The cross is going to do all sorts of good, I guess, in that situation. So this guy, and like I was saying before, so the press winds up dubbing him Chemo Jones. No idea where that name came from, but 
What I do know is that this guy, being the consummate politician, would get in front of any and every camera or microphone he could find. He loved giving interviews. And he also loved to vilify and use the chupacabra as a platform for his being reelected. And, and did this work? My belief is, I'd have to double check, I know this guy's had more than one term in office. Oh my God. I don't think this was his last one. <laughs> I, you know what? Dude put in the work. I hope it wasn't. Yep. And so in all of this guy's interviews he was giving, eventually, you know, his quotes, his sound bites being, again, completely bat wing crazy, would catch the attention of much larger Western outlets like the Washington Post, like the New York Times, and above all, the National Enquirer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if we can zoom out just a little at this point, we kind of have to look at sort of the larger political picture on the island. Now, what you have is you start out with one woman reporting to the local media about something she saw. Above that, you have the mayor of that city holding nightly safaris to try and hunt and kill what has been deemed the cause of all of this. And taking a step up from there, you have a government on the island who probably aren't real thrilled with the idea of this mayor painting their country as the natural habitat of a murderous cryptid. And, you know, that can be damaging to things like tourism and commerce. And also the world seeing your country as a bunch of backwood hillbillies. Yes. Okay. Uh, governments kind of like to make money, and they don't like when people potentially jeopardize that money being made. Yeah. So they decide, well, what we're going to do is we're going to put this to bed once and for all. So the government decides to bring in a team of scientists, specialists, biologists, and they were all assigned to just fully just debunk these stories once and for all, provide the logical and biological evidence that would convince the public that this cryptid did not exist and that they should all go back to their lives, just status quo. And the people did exactly that, kind of. At this point, I have to reference Dr. Emily Zarka and her online webisode show called Monstrum. And in this show, she has an episode about uh, El Chupacabra, and she goes into great length about how Puerto Rico is basically a commonwealth of the United States. And even though they're citizens of the states and obey all their laws, they don't have any right to vote or anything in presidential elections. So they're required to obey all the laws, but they have no access to changing them or contributing, which makes them basically outsiders. Uh, in their own country. And this has kind of led to our little chooper becoming something of an anti-hero and a symbol that Puerto Ricans use to reflect how they feel uh, in relation to the larger United States as a whole. And by the end of 1995, you had on the island thousands of different kinds of t-shirts being printed with illustrations of the chupacabras. He became a folk hero. So this thing goes from 
terrorizing people, sucking goats, to being vilified so a mayor can get reelected, to it becoming a symbol, basically, of how the Puerto Ricans felt relative to the larger United States. It's it is insane. Like for for something that most people know only as something that drained the blood from goats. There is so much more to it. Well, I mean, the idea that there's a, there's like an actual political angle to this thing is something that you don't really think about in terms of any cryptid story. Nope. And I don't just mean getting reelected. That's just a crazy man doing what he can to put this into the public eye to draw attention to himself. So on the topic of the United States, at one point, El Chupacabras, again, a cryptid with no clear origin. No one knows where this thing came from. No one knows how it came into being. At one point, El Chupacabras was even rumored to have been an escaped experiment from a nearby U.S. military installation called Fort Buchanan. An American military installation on the island of Puerto Rico, you don't really get any bigger symbol of political power and, and suppression of rights and the whole military-industrial complex. Obviously, this complex being on the island probably wasn't seen in a very favorable light. Yeah, I can imagine. And anyone familiar with the Montauk monster story from a while ago can see the parallels here and the type of experiment that the chupacabra could have been meant to resemble. And again, you know, the Montauk story had very similar government conspiracy vibes, but that's another story for another time. So this is where the story of our Puerto Rican goat sucker comes to an end. Our blood-sucking scourge on local wildlife dodged being exposed as one woman's vivid hallucination only to be embraced by the very populace that feared him. But wait, there's more. Ah, there always is, in any good story. In this case, it's kind of sad. Yeah. So, let's smash cut to Mexico and southwestern U.S. Cut. Texas. According to local residents and farmers in the early 2000s, El Chupacabra was back on his bullshit. Nice. Livestock was dying again. Blood being drained again, and multiple witness accounts quickly spread to the media, complete with the required low-res photos and blurry video footage. Oh my god, dude, that's the best kind of footage. I love that footage. What was attacking the Mexican and American animals wasn't our chubby-winged demonic Oompa Loompa, though. This was something else. Something that ran on four legs instead of two and got hit by cars. A lot. So you're probably thinking, hey... A corpse means proof, and proof means, uh, we found the truth. Problem is that these corpses, when tested, are revealed in 99% of cases to be a type of dog or coyote suffering a medical condition that alters their appearance and behavior. An animal infected with mange has severe itching and hair loss, and some even have self-inflicted wounds from scratching or chewing themselves. In advanced cases, the skin of the animal becomes thicker and darker in color, their body may be emaciated, which can explain the American and Mexican appearance of the chupacabras. Um, dude, we we just went from Natasha Henstrich to Steve Buscemi in like <laughs> two minutes. I'm not so happy anymore. Now, as it happens, 
the uh, there was a website for an NBC affiliate, KXAN in Texas, doing its civic duty to keep defibrillating El Chupo's legend just two months ago in June 2023, uh, saying that allegedly their quote-unquote devil dog is most active in summer months, and they provided a short list of contemporary sightings. Amongst the sightings reported by KXAN, we have a 2014 report by a Texas family claiming they captured the chupacabra in a cage. The animal was cared for while its species was determined, but the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department confirmed that the creature was actually a raccoon with mange and euthanizing was recommended by the game warden. In 2016, there was another chupacabra sighting in Hockley County, located in West Texas, uh, that was determined to be a coyote. Yeah, okay. And finally, we have surveillance footage of a quote-unquote bipedal wolf-like creature seen outside the Amarillo Zoo in the summer of 2022. While the zoo described the figure, which very well may have been a person in a costume, <laughs> as a UAO, I've never heard of one of these before, an unidentified Amarillo object. Okay. Many online pointed out similarities to some traditional chupacabra depictions. So Nice to see that our classic chupacabra is coming back. Natasha, Natasha you're back. I've missed you. So what you see here is less about people creating a scapegoat to explain a threat that can't be explained, and instead just people using the name of that scapegoat as an umbrella term for just anything that don't look quite right. I mean, I get it. Animals were still dying under quote-unquote mysterious circumstances, but gone was the romance and drama of a creature that a population to mold and reuse to fit a number of different uses. What we're left here is a pale or dark gray imitator, riding on the <laughs> coattails of his namesake and not really lifting this version to the heights of its Puerto Rican cousin, but does serve to just bring additional attention to the original instead. The last thing I want to bring up is I mentioned earlier that 99% of every chupercalifragilistic sighting is confirmed to be a real-life animal. My research also came across an article by a guy named Mike Adams for Maine's 101.9 FM webpage back in March of 2013, reporting that, and I quote, wildlife officials say El Chupacabra possibly discovered in Maine. 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 That's pretty far north. Yes. Our chooper gets around. Per the article, El Chupacabra, the legendary devil dog that has been elusively scouring the southern states of Mexico for years, sucking the blood of livestock, may have just turned up in Maine. Wildlife officials say that a dog-like creature that was found in Kennebunk earlier last week has them stumped because they say the creature does not appear to be that of a coyote, wolf, or even a domestic dog. Yet, Maine wildlife biologist Scott Lindsay says he hopes that his team will be able to come to some conclusion as to exactly what the animal is sometime this week. Quote, this one's strange, he said. Some features on it did appear more dog-like, but up close, one feature that's typical of a wild canine is that the teeth are totally clean, no tartar at all. Last week, a couple of teenagers spotted what they believed to be an albino wolf outside one of their windows. However, upon investigating a little further, they all agreed that the beast did not appear to be a wolf, or a coyote for that matter. It came up and stared at us, said one of the teens. It was limping and its mouth was open. It seemed confused. 
The teens then ran back inside to call the police because they feared the animal was rabid. When they returned outside, they discovered that the animal had crawled underneath the porch and died. No. According to the police report. Wildlife officials say that they are conducting preliminary studies on the animal. They feel confident that the strange beast is not a coyote. But that's where the story ends. <clears throat> have not heard anything since and don't have a conclusive answer on what this drooling, gape-mouthed, limping animal actually was. And it had hair. Yes. So that's even more different of a description than what we've had from the second version of the Chupacabra. Or differenter. Or differenter. Although I do got to say, if, you know, Chupacabras are making their way up north, you got to have a coat for them winter months, bro. That's true. I find it interesting here that for comparative purposes, Stephen King's pet is connected back to the Texan version rather than the Puerto Rican original. It's almost as if a lot of people aren't aware of our dumpy little winged friend. You know, most people, I think, when they think Chupacabra... Of that more modern interpretation of the American version. The emaciated dog. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I think it's interesting that you have the Puerto Rican version rises to such heights in terms of popularity and use and purpose becoming a symbol yep and meanwhile only to have that same idea transplant into mexico and more commonly to the southern u.s where it just becomes this gaunt half insane dog and that's about it so tell me buddy what do you think well being professional paranormal researchers, ghost hunters, and mystery solvers, we both know that over time, legends grow and they evolve. Things change and things are added to or removed from legends by successive generations. That's how vampires go from rotting, stinking corpses rising from the grave to steal your life force to suddenly becoming blood-sucking suave dudes who sparkle. Werewolves are people who are given magical items or an ointment from a witch in order to change into a wolf back in pre-Renaissance France, uh, but now they're cursed. They change if they're bitten by a werewolf. Throw in a full moon and some silver because of Hollywood, and you have a new version of the legend. However, the beast remains largely the same. But this guy, El Chipper Dipper, went from a scaly kangaroo with wings and spines to a completely different animal, seemingly a mangy dog, in just a few decades. How does that happen so quickly? They wouldn't be identifiable as the same animal if you got two different people who just gave them descriptions without the name Chupacabra. It's almost like the term Chupacabra, like you said, became an umbrella term for anything that wasn't quite right. Yeah. And this only happened in just a couple decades. Like, that's quick, man. There is something to the idea that the Puerto Rican version of El Chupacabra is so much more effective than the version that the U.S. tries to promote. And there's a weird bit of, I don't want to call it revenge or comeuppance, but given the way Puerto Ricans feel about the U.S., to have the U.S. try and mimic a Puerto Rican folklore and frankly do a piss poor job of it, yeah. there's something rewarding about the fact that the U.S. can't get the story right or do as good a job with it as the Puerto Ricans. Well, the Puerto Rican version 
if you go far enough back, like you pointed out, the indigenous people had a legend that eventually sort of evolved to this, which, by the way, I want to point out that their original legend bore very little to no similarities to the 1995 version. But theirs meant something to them. It became a symbol, and mm -hmm. that's kind of where it flew and took off, no pun intended, because of its little bat wings. But the American version just seems to be blah. It's just a thing. It's just weird for the sake of being weird. But it's also not weird enough that anybody from the local game warden can come along and say, no, that's just this. Yeah, like, yeah. There's nothing weird about this. It's just an ugly dog that's got a disease. Now, I did read that one reason for this massive difference in the two was because of mistranslations from the Spanish stories to English. Maybe somebody at the American news agency needs Duolingo or Babel. You know, I hear that you can start speaking another language at a competent level within weeks, and they're <laughs> offered plenty of quality programs. Another reason for the coyote with the mange theory and the farm animal killing suggests that an animal with mange is in such poor health that it will eventually be reduced to attacking domesticated animals, farm animals, because it doesn't have the strength to be able to hunt its usual prey. A domesticated animal is a much easier target, but even in attacking that, it may exhaust itself so much that when it does finally take the animal down, it doesn't even have the strength to eat it. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe why you're getting animals that have puncture wounds. There's some sort of trauma, enough trauma caused to kill the animal, but then it doesn't get eaten because the poor mangy dog has to slink away and, you know, try to regain its strength at some point. And it's not just these explanations that are out there. There's also the suggestion that these things were brought to Earth by spaceships. They could be alien creatures. I know in certain accounts that I'd come across online, the idea of it being extraterrestrial in nature was kind of bandied about, but never really looked into very deeply. Didn't really catch on with the stories, right? No. Also, I swear I read this somewhere, that the chupacabra was also theorized to be an interdimensional being that travels between dimensions and can fly by vibrating its spines at certain speeds. Hmm. Vibrate the spines, it opens up a dimensional doorway, and it can pass in it. That I had not heard. That's yeah. kind of cool. And let's not forget that the world may or may not actually secretly be ruled by lizard people, and maybe this is just one of them. The Chupacabra legend, in my mind, is awesome enough that I would prefer to think of it without the American chapter. Yeah. But if I had to give America credit for something, it was only after the Chupacabra became an American cryptid that it began to show up in music at the time. I think there are a total of three different bands from the 90s that have a song called Chupacabra. Okay. There is a drink called the Chupacabra. <laughs> I have not encountered that one. There are several episodes of different shows and comic books and movies that have the Chupacabra as a character. He was in The X-Files. He was in Futurama. He was in Workaholics. He was in The Venture Bros. He was in South Park. Because I've never seen any of these, I can't say for sure, but I'd be curious to know which version of the Chupacabra is depicted. Now, that's a good question. Whether the U.S. is using the Puerto Rican version, because it just hands down better, and proliferating that one, 
or if it's trying to continue to popularize its own lame version. Like you, I hope that they're using the big booty, scaly Puerto <laughs> Rican version for whatever they're doing. But the U.S. maybe can have credit for keeping the legend alive somehow, because outside of Puerto Rico, would we have even heard of this thing? I if mean, it had just been limited to what their news reports were. I do remember when I originally heard of the Chupacabra decades ago, it was something like Unsolved Mysteries, something like that. It probably wasn't Unsolved Mysteries, but something along that line. And they talked about the Chupacabra and they talked about Madeline and then describing this thing as the creature from species. Outside of that, if the U.S. hadn't have grabbed onto this and rode it like a broken pony, we probably wouldn't have heard much more of the legend if it was just localized to Puerto Rico. I mean, that's and, my thing. And saying that, it's weird the way the U.S. and Puerto Rican versions are so different, but they're also kind of tied together because... Madeline's eyewitness account was based on the creature from an American film. Yeah. You have a creature design for an American movie seen by a Puerto Rican woman used as the basis for the Puerto Rican version of this animal. But then when the story crosses over to the States, they completely drop the ball and turn it into a sickly dog. But then when the American media picks up on it, they don't use the sickly dog. They go back to the cool Puerto Rican version that was based on the description of the character from the movie from <laughs> the States. As crazy as the idea of our chupacabra being found as far north as Maine, that's still North America. One more sighting I kind of want to bring up October and December of 2018 is we start getting reports of suspected chupacabra activity in Manipur, India, of all places. Again, all the telltale signs you have many domestic animals and poultry are being killed in a suspicious manner, similar to other chupacabra attacks, and several people reported that they had seen chupacabras. However, forensic ex experts opined that street dogs were responsible for mass killing of domestic animals and poultry after studying the remnants of a corpse. Street dogs going after domesticated animals, something that's, you know, a cheap and easy meal for them, mm -hmm. comparatively speaking. And if you are in a built up area and, you know, you've got wild dogs that are going through garbage, going after chickens, going after other easy meals that are probably better smelling than the garbage that they're eating, I could totally see that. Of course. Maybe it was Natasha Hetchrich. <laughs> she is a world traveler. She does get around. Yeah. And I mean, this happened in 2018, and I have no idea of what Miss Hetchrich has been up to recently. I think she has a continuing role in a television show. Oh, okay. Well, hey, good for you, Natasha. You slay queen. That's right. I don't think she was in India killing animals and eating trash. I don't think she was doing that. Rico. I'm here, man. Talk to me. If you are looking at the story of El Chupacabras. King Chupacupa. That's right. Are you thinking that the, the lore won on this one? That is a good question. The idea of whether the lore has won or lost in the case of the Chupacabra, the Puerto Rican story is great, right? You've got a whole history going back to its indigenous people. You've got 
the vampire-ish story in the 1970s, which is just a small little snatch of something that happened and there were zero conclusions. They called it a vampire and then that was it. Okay, I mean, that's interesting. But then you've got the batshit crazy description of the Chupacabra coming literally straight out of a movie. Not even like it's straight out of a movie. It's literally out of a movie. And then the mayor jumps on this thing and uses it as a platform to get reelected in a sideshow. Literally a sideshow. The guy created a traveling circus to get votes. That is amazing. I love that version of the story. But I think it probably would have ended there if, you know, the United States hadn't picked it up and popularized it. Even though they completely changed the monster, their version is frankly pretty lame compared to the original. But I think in this case, the lore wins. I wish the lore had won because of popularity that Puerto Rico had given the creature, but unfortunately, I think it wins because the United States kept it in everybody's mind. The story from India took place as recently as 2018. People are still talking about the Chupacabra, and other places are now appropriating it. It's not just Puerto Rico. It's not just Mexico. It's not just the United States. You've got all the places down in South America are talking about it. It's moving north, it's in Maine, and then now it's traveling over to India. What's next? Does Canada get its own woolly version? Does Canada have its own version? What do you think? Do you think the lore won on this one? A lot of the points you cover are exactly the same ones that I had going into this. The Puerto Rican version of the Chupacabra is brilliant from an origin standpoint, from value standpoint. What the Chupacabra represented to the Puerto Ricans and how he was used in so many different ways to so many different ends. If the Chupacabra's story had begun and ended in Puerto Rico, I wouldn't have been mad at it. I find the Chupacabra lore wins on two levels. The first level is for the pure originality and, as you mentioned, just the chaos of <laughs> what it inspired and how it was used on the island from a folklore perspective to even a cautionary tale in terms of, I'm sure at some point, parents were telling their kids not to stay out late at night. You know, because of the chupacabra, you had the political uses, you had the symbolism, you had him becoming this anti-hero. Just there was so much about that Puerto Rican version that is just amazing. And if his story had been born and died on that island, I wouldn't have been mad at it. I could easily say that the way he was co-opted and appropriated over to the States and then made a shadow of his former self, yeah, that's a little disappointing. But I can't deny the fact that his coming to the States exposed him to so much more in terms of mass media, in terms of music, in terms of TV, in terms of film and comic books. All I can do is hope that the more people that learn about the Chupacabras, they're able to stop and see past the crusty dog and look deeper to see where this story actually comes from because there is so much cooler stuff than this being an umbrella term for just anything quote-unquote weird. Yeah. I definitely think it won. 
it looks like in the case of the chupacabra, the lore wins. Absolutely. The Hands lore, down. The lore is just racking up those points. Lore, all the points. No lore. Zero points, I guess. You could say we're doing the lore's work. Uh, did you hear that? Dude, I've been I've been hearing that all night. So that's not you. Well, you're in the room with me. If it were me, I think you would know because you're looking right at me. So that I don't want to say this, but that means it's outside. It's got to be outside. Great. All right. Well, um, I guess I'll go check it out then. Yeah. Yeah. You go check it out. I'm gonna wait here. Fine. Uh, I, what is that? That is, we, is that green and scaly? Oh, 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 green and scaly. Hold on, let me take a look. I don't know what that is. Is that? What in the hell? Is that my Tinder date? That's, what? That's weird. Look, what it? I can't, well, it's coming, it's coming closer. It's getting, oh, oh, oh my God. That thing is moving. Okay. We got to go, dude. We got to go. Where are the keys? Uh, we gotta, we gotta get out of here. That is not man. Natasha Henstridge like I thought it was. No. It is. That's. I mean, it's it's still kind of sexy though. But wait, what? Dude, don't kink shame me, bro. We gotta get the keys. Get the, where are the keys? Dude, Who's got them? Dude, Who's got the keys? That, you got them. Start the Winnebago. Start the Winnebago. Discuss this mobile command center. Hey, start the mobile command center. Let's just get out of here. Let's go. Come on. <laughs>